0: <laughs> he started it. <laughs> All right. Just for that. I want to read something that um, someone had sent me a couple of months ago. And I may have forwarded it to one or two people. I don't remember. But it just cracked me up when I read it. And there's a, a picture that goes with the story. And it's about a six or seven year old boy. And he's wearing a cowboy hat leaning against a fence and the title of the story is My Favorite Animal. I don't know if you've seen it or not. But this six or 7 year old boy says, our teacher asked what my favorite animal was. And I said, fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> she said I wasn't funny, but she couldn't have been right because everyone else laughed. My parents told me to always tell the truth, I did. Fried chicken's my favorite animal. (laughs) I told my dad what happened, and he said my teacher was probably a member of PETA. He said they love animals very much. I do, too, especially chicken, pork, and beef. (laughs) Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened, and he laughed, too. Then he told me not to do it again. The next day in class, my teacher asked me what my favorite live animal was. I told her it was chicken. (laughs) She asked me why. So I told her it was because you could make them into fried chicken. (laughs) She sent me back to the principal. (laughs) He laughed and told me not to do it again. I don't understand. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. Today, my teacher asked me to tell her what famous person I admire most. (laughs) I told her, Colonel Sanders. (laughs) Guess where I am
1: now. That breaks the mood.
0: (laughs) You know this whole thing about the Ukraine is sober and it's very sober to me because it causes me to see well how destitute we are as a country and how powerless and the reason that we're so powerless is because of what is a country we've embraced to get us away from the Word of God you know in Galatians just as an aside before I get into the main part of the message. You know, Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit. And some translations say live in the Spirit or live by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. You know, people... People being people, they want clearly defined terms. And there's a common tendency to want a complete, sort of a computer manual approach to the Christian life. People want a specific list of do's and don'ts, what's acceptable and what's not. You know, tell me exactly what to do and then I'll do it and I'll feel safe, I'll know how to act. But there's a danger in this sort of thing because that was the Galatian era, the era of the Galatians. It's an attempt to live by the law rather than by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't give us a list of specific codes to replace the law codes, but he does give us a basis for evaluating when we're fo- when we're following the direction of the Spirit and when we're gratifying the desires of the flesh. So he gives us a list of characteristics of the flesh. He gives us also a a, a list of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And then after that or before that, he gives us a list of the characteristics or the acts of our sinful nature. He tells us that the acts of our sinful nature are obvious. His point is... uh, that while the desires of our sinful nature are hidden, the acts that these desires produce are public for everybody to see. And then he gives that list in Galatians 5 that I just want to read briefly as a preamble. Of the desires of the flesh, and this is Galatians 19, excuse me, five, nineteen through twenty-one, and he says, "Now the deeds of the flesh are evident; they're open for everybody to see, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes." dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, I've been in Matthew lately in BSF, and over and over again it talks about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, interchangeable terms. And it tells Jesus tells us over and over again what the kingdom of heaven is like. And here Paul is saying that people that practice these things will never see it. They will never inherit the kingdom of God. And I hope you notice that one of the things he talks about is idolatry. And that's where I've been the last few times I've spoken. And I want to sort of continue on in that vein maybe one last time. There's a a big difference between sorrow and despair. Sorrow is a pain, a pain that you have, but where you've got sources of consolation to get you through the sorrow. It it comes from losing one good thing among a lot of other good things. For example, you can lose your job, but you have your family to comfort you. You know, despair is different. Despair is inconsolable because it comes from losing an ultimate thing. And when you lose an ultimate thing, you don't have any other source to turn to and so you are left in this state of uncontrollable and inconsolable despair. You saw it during the Wall Street crash in 1929, where people lost everything overnight. And you saw suicide after suicide, and people going into a state of depression that they didn't, some of them never came out of it. When you, and you saw it again, to a lesser extent, maybe when this dot-com crash happened. Back in whenever it was, late 80s, early 80s, whatever. You saw people in a state of despair because overnight they lost what they thought they had immense fortunes in some cases. The latest real estate collapse and the banking scandals. And you may not remember, but there were stories about executives jumping from tall buildings, committing suicide because of all of the things that they had put their trust in falling apart, no hope, despair. The French statement de Tocqueville, the same one that talked about, you know, America being great, also said this. He said, despair comes from taking the incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it and seeing it vanish. Mm -hmm building your life on someone or something other than God is the definition of idolatry you know in the Old Testament times idols were bloodthirsty and they were hard to appease and they still are in the New Testament Paul went to Athens and he found the city full of idols and the idols haven't left they've just taken on a different form Jeremiah 50, 38, speaking about Babylon, says this, A drought is against her waters, but they will be dried up, for it is a land of carved images, and they are insane with their idols. You could change the name of the country. Insane for their idols. You know, there's still places in the world where people worship the old-style idols. But idol worship of the heart is universal. It's everywhere. In Ezekiel 14, 3, and speaking about the elders of Israel, the Lord says, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And we set up the idols in our heart when we take a good thing and we make it the ultimate thing. You know, the very first commandment says, I am the Lord your God, and then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And that makes most people ask the question, what do you mean other gods? And so he gives you the second commandment to answer the question. And the second commandment says, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness Of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. So an idol can be anything that's a God alternative. It's anything that's more important to us than God. What do we have that if we lost it, would make life not worth living? It's an idol. If you want a definition, just think about that. You know, it's always been possible to make romantic love and marriage into a counterfeit God. And perhaps maybe today more so than ever before. We see endless examples of people who put all their hopes for happiness into one person who they think is going to completely fulfill them and there's an example of this too in the Bible and his name's Jacob if you remember the story Isaac's wife, Rebekah was pregnant with twins and the Lord told her that two nations were struggling within her and that the elder was going to serve the younger and in spite of the word of God Isaac set his heart on the older son Esau over the younger son Jacob and because of his actions because of his favoritism toward Esau Esau grew up proud and spoiled arrogant, willful, impulsive and Jacob grew up cynical and bitter when the time came to give the blessing the blessing that Isaac determined to give to Esau. Jacob dressed up and fooled his father, who was just about blind at the time, and deceived him into giving him the blessing. Now, earlier in Scripture, you see that uh, that Esau sold the birthright to Jacob over a bowl of stew, and now we're at the point where the blessing is given. And it seems like Jacob and Esau and Isaac see a difference between the birthright and the blessing. But scripture doesn't distinguish. If you go to the book of Hebrews, you'll see that there is no difference according to the book of Hebrews, which means there's no difference in God's sight either. Esau had already showed that he had no regard for the inheritance of God and so there was a foregone conclusion he was not going to get the blessing nevertheless when Esau found out about the deception he vowed to kill Jacob so Jacob had to flee for his life and Jacob had lost everything at this point he lost his family he lost his blessing he lost wealth he lost position he had nothing so he headed off to Haran where his mother had told him to go to see his uncle Laban hoping that he'd get some kind of position with him somewhere he could stay until Esau's wrath had subsided so we know the story Jacob found work with his uncle Laban and it didn't take Laban long to see how valuable Jacob could be he he had all these abilities so he said to Jacob how much should I pay you to take care of my flocks Laban asked him And Jacob gave Laban a one-word answer to the question. And And the answer was Rachel. That's what I want. So Laban, of course, you know, had two daughters. Leah the older, Rachel the younger. And Scripture says that Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful in form and face. Jacob told Laban, I'll work for you for seven years, for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban, Laban agreed, and the scripture says the seven years passed and seemed like only a few days to Jacob because of his love for Rachel. That's intense. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't compute very well for me, but anyway. <laughs> The Hebrew text literally says that Rachel had a great figure. You know, the English doesn't come across sometimes very well in these translations. But that's what the Hebrew text says, that she had a great figure as well as being beautiful. And scholars have pointed out that there are a lot of signals in the Bible text to show how smitten Jacob really was for Rachel. He offered to work for her hand in marriage for seven years which at that time was an enormous price to pay for a bride. It was unheard of. And when the seven years were completed, Genesis 29, 21 says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may go into her. Now these same scholars say that this phrase is unusually bald. B-A-L-D, ribald, and graphically sexual for this time in history. The comparison would be, today, a man going to the father of the girl he wants to marry and says, I can't wait to have sex for your daughter. Give her to me now. That's the equivalent of what Jacob was saying to Laban. The phrase shows an overwhelming, emotional, longing, and sexual desire for Rachel. Why? Because Jacob's life was totally empty. His father Isaac always preferred his brother Esau. He lost his mother. Scripture says he never saw her again once he left. And there's no indication that he had any sense of the presence of God in his life at this point in time. And then he saw Rachel, and he must have thought, if I can just have Rachel, my life is going to be fulfilled. My life will have meaning. So all of his hopes and all of his longings were fixed on Rachel. When Jacob asked if he could marry Rachel, Laban never actually said yes. What he said, what is, <coughs> Excuse me. it is better that I give her to you Than to another man. Jacob wanted to hear a definite yes, so in his mind, that's exactly what he heard. Seven years later, he came to Laban and said, now give me my wife. As the custom was, there was a great feast. and at the great feast at the end of it Laban brings his other daughter Leah to Jacob and she's covered with a veil Jacob is good and drunk and so he goes in with Leah thinking it's Rachel consummate the marriage and then there was mourning and there was Leah In the light of day, a sober Jacob saw he had married the older, unattractive, elder, accused daughter. And he's not very happy. He's pretty much enraged. So he confronts Laban and Laban just calmly says, he should have known that it's the custom here that the older daughter has to be married before the younger daughter can be married. you will work for me another seven years I'll Rachel as part of the deal so self-sufficient self-centered scheming Jacob has just met self-sufficient self-centered scheming Laban and he's trapped so he agrees well after the week of festivities go by he gets Rachel also Now, it's not easy to look at this story and wonder how anyone could be so gullible. But it's an example of how obsession with a person or an object can blind us Mm -hmm. and take over our lives. Addicts always make foolish and destructive decisions, whatever the addiction is. And that's what happened to Jacob. He was so obsessed with Rachel that he heard and saw only what he wanted to hear and see. And later, this idolatry (coughs) of Rachel would cause decades of misery in his family. He adored and favored Rachel's children over his other children to such an extent that later on, the children would sell their brother into slavery meaning Joseph maybe the biggest casualty in this story often you don't think about it just like when we were talking about some of the other people with idolatry in the past like Naaman where the the servant girl was the one you never think about Maybe the greatest casualty in the story was Leah. All Scripture says about Leah up to this point is that she's the older daughter and that she has (coughs) weak eyes. Now that can't mean she has poor eyesight because the passage says, and Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. So this probably means that Leah was very unattractive and lived her whole life in the shadow of her sister who was stunning. And Laban knew that no man was likely to marry Leah. No man was likely to marry her. No man was likely to offer a bride prize for her. So he was stuck. He can't marry Rachel because Leah has to be first. So Jacob provided him with a perfect solution to his problem, his financial problem, because that's what he was interested in. But what about Leah? The daughter that the father did not want is now the wife of a husband that doesn't want her. Genesis 29.30 says, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So Leah set her heart, on getting Jacob the lover and what it says Genesis 29 31 through 35 is this? now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved and he opened her womb but Rachel was barren Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. And she said, Because the the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he's therefore given me this son too. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons therefore he was named Levi and she conceived again and bore a son and said this time I will praise the Lord therefore she named him Judah and she stopped bearing Leah was doing her best to get Jacob the lover in the time honored way by having sons but it wasn't working and daily she saw that Jacob loved Rachel over her it would be pretty easy at this point to just throw up your hands and say what in the world is the moral of the story where are we going are there any heroes here we like morals that are learning points for us We want to see people that we can emulate, that we can be like. We want to see people that we can strive to be like so we can climb to the top of the moral ladder. But instead, God shows us weak people who don't deserve His grace, that don't seek His grace, and don't appreciate it once they get it. And we've got all of that here. So what do we learn from this narrative we learn that there's always going to be disappointment in this life when we strive after things that can't satisfy Jacob thought if I can just get Rachel I'll have everything I need one commentator said that no matter what we put our hopes in no matter what we put our hopes in in the morning it's always Leah And never Rachel. No person, not even the best one, can give your soul what it needs. You will always think you've gone to bed with Rachel. And when you get up, it'll always be Leah. C.S. Lewis says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world something supernatural and eternal in this particular narrative up to this point Leah is the only person in whom we see any spiritual progress in all these statements that I just read from Leah she's calling on the Lord she uses the name Yahweh Now, all the cultures at this time had some general ideas of God or gods. But Yahweh was the name of the God who had revealed himself to Abraham. And the only way Leah could have known about him is if Jacob had told her about Yahweh's promise to his grandfather Abraham. So even though she was struggling and confused, she was reaching out to a personal God of grace. And finally, there's a breakthrough. When she gives birth to her last son, Judah, she says, This time I will praise the Lord. There's no mention of her husband or of a son like there was in the first three. Just the Lord. All of her attention is on Yahweh. Laban and Jacob had stolen her life, but now God gives it back to her. Her child is Judah. And we're told in Genesis 49 that it's through Judah that Messiah will come. So God has come to the girl that nobody loves and made her the ancestral mother of Jesus. Salvation came into the world not through beautiful Rachel, but through the unwanted one, the unloved one. God saw that Leo was not loved, but he loved her. God saw, he saw her misery, and he brought her satisfaction. Only the Lord is the true bridegroom. He's the only one that satisfies. When God came to the earth in the form of a man, he truly became the man that nobody wanted. He was born in a manger. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And in the end, everyone abandoned him. He became Leah's son, the one nobody wanted for me and for you. stop trying to make others spouse work power all of those things into a savior because we already have a savior that's the moral of the story let's pray lord you've shown us how so many different things become idols Sometimes it's money, like Zacchaeus. Sometimes it's power and prestige, like Naaman. Sometimes it's national pride, like Jonah. And sometimes it's it's a person that means everything, that means more than you mean. And all these things, Lord, just come crashing down because we think we've gone to bed with Rachel and we wake up and it's Leah. And it's, it's a disaster, Lord. It leaves us undone. It leaves all of our hopes that we have, all the things we pinned our hopes on turn out to be less than nothing. Whispers of smoke that vanish away. It's only you that satisfies us. And I just thank you for your word, Lord, and I pray that you might cause it to, to take deep root in our hearts so that you're the one that we long for. And that the idols that we have, Lord, the good things are not the ultimate things; that you're the ultimate thing. And we just bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.